scripture this morning is Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be praise. So what do you do? In the face of all that's not the way it's supposed to be, what do you do? Distract yourself, um, deny, embrace it and crumble. What can you do? I'm using a very specific phrase to remind us that um, the curse and sin are, are, are very broad. So everything that's not the way it's supposed to be in the world, war, disease, sin, is an effect of the fall. And one of the oddest things that Christians do, and sometimes, um, I'll say overdo, but it is an important thing that we do, is we praise. We praise the name of the Lord. I hope that you can think of things right now in your life that uh, are going well. And you praise God for. But before you praise him for the things, we are to praise him for who he is. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. I'm generally unimpressed with toasts at weddings, I'm just going to tell you. And someone's going to remember this in like July when I... We're at a wedding together, and they're going to ask me if I'm impressed, and I can't hide my, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Some of you think that's crazy, and others you are like, yeah, I resonate. Anyway, and the reason that I'm generally unimpressed with toasts is people giving the toasts love the person so much, it's actually hard to express that. And so they end up saying something along the lines of, you've always been there for me, and I'll always be there for you. The worst toast I have ever given was for my second oldest friend at his wedding because I was used to making good toasts because I'm a relatively good public speaker and I would come up with a story and then a description. And then with my old friend, oldest friend, Aaron, Dr. Aaron Patrick Feeker, <laughs> I flubbed it. It's similar, right? For those of you that are married, there are things about your spouse that you love but you love them in a way that far transcends that. If you have a child, your love for that child far transcends and, and is far greater than anything that you love. That's not exactly the perfect comparison, but I hope you know what I'm getting at. If God exists and has pursued us in love and called us to himself because that is who he is, then our love for him is not that it's a beautiful day though we praise him that it's a beautiful day. Our love for him and our praise for him begin with praise of his name. 
which is praise of his character. I wrote down that I think 61% of toasts at weddings are not awesome because it's difficult to describe the true love of one being for another, which is why the Psalms are so lovely. They don't only teach us how to be sad with and at God, how to be angry with and at God, how to express our disorientation, because life is very disorienting, is it not? I'm 43, we have an infant. Anyway, it also teaches us how to praise. And make no mistake, this is a command. It is a command to praise the name of the Lord. Um, Early on in the... uh, pandemic, I read an article that I thought was incredible, and it said, the discomfort you feel is grief, um, was the title of the article, and it was an interview with someone, and um, I bought his book, but his book's about the meaning, and I'm like, I can't read about meaning during, maybe in like five years, I'll read, I'll try to understand the meaning of some aspects, and instead, I've turned to the Psalms, and I've asked them to, to teach me about grief, and it's not because I want to wallow in my grief, it's because I want to deal with it so that I can then also praise and experience joy. And what I found is almost every psalm that I've explored so far goes through all five stages. And here's the deal with why I'm bringing this up today. Praise in the mouth of a Christian, or in the mind of a Christian, or the voice of a Christian, is a move of denial. It's the first stage of grief. But that doesn't mean it's bad. In some ways, it's a move of resistance. It's a move of even acceptance of the world we actually live in in conjunction with, combination with, the goodness of God revealed in the scriptures and given to us by the Holy Spirit. So in one sense, and denial can be bad if you're you're literally not allowing yourself to think about any of the hard stuff while you're praising, like you're forcing it, you know what I mean? That can be destructive. But for a Christian, denial is also part of the way we get to acceptance, fifth stage, right? Because we can still praise his name regardless of our circumstances. That's Philippians. That's the gospel. Sometimes you don't want to, and I would encourage you to not force yourself very often. But trust to the Lord as he grows you into being capable of praising his name, regardless of circumstances. Something that comes up in the Psalms, and in the verse, uh, Psalm 113 begins and ends with the same phrase, praise the Lord. And how do you feel about repetition? Some of you love Repetition. Some of you, if you heard us play, I could sing of your love forever, would like just run screaming out of the door. Because you're like, I can't, no, no, I can't sing of your love for even one more minute, much less forever. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's great. In the 90s, that was a very popular song, and there were certain worship leaders, I have no idea if this happened at the barn, who could play that chorus for like 15 minutes. Not exaggerating. I might be exaggerating. But here's the thing, friends. Repetition settles our soul. Not exclusively, but the psalms which were prayed and sung by the people of Israel to remind them who God is and who he says we are. And now for us, these are the hymn book of, prayer book of Jesus, 
You go to Psalm 136, and every verse ends with the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's part of the reason I love the English Standard Version of the Bible. It has some problems translation-wise, and every translation has problems because it's a translation. And we're continuing to learn about Greek, Aramaic, a tiny bit of the Bible's written in Aramaic, and Hebrew. But the NIV says his love never ceases, and it's bigger word than that. It's a covenantal word. It's chesed. There's a word for simple love, and it's not that word. And in Psalm 136, that phrase, his steadfast love never ceases, is repeated 28 times. So when you encounter repetition in the Psalms, if you're like me and repetition does not settle your soul in a natural sense, Allow the Psalms to guide you and instruct you, because there are some things worth repeating and allowing them to settle into us. Psalm 113 commands praise of his name. So there's a whole command, commandment devoted to this, in addition to it being commanded here. Commandment number three is carry up the name of the Lord with honor. The verb is nasa, carry up on your lips, but in your very being. How do you honor the Lord? For some of you, this simply means don't cuss utilizing God language. Uh, That's included, I think, but, uh, no, it is included. It is included. But for some of us, that's where it stops, and that's not biblical, and that's not gospel, and we are missing out, friends, because the commands of God are not only because he's holy, they not only show us our own sin and need for him, they're also a guide to good, flourishing life. So learning to carry up his name with honor is an opportunity for us to flourish as a human being. Westminster Shorter Catechism says we get to revere his name, his names, excuse me, plural, his titles, his attributes, his ordinances, his word, and his works. All that is included by implication in the third commandment. You know, all of the commandments include, they're umbre- they, they operate like umbrellas. They're not just do this and don't do this. They're umbrellas for how we are to function as God worshipers and fearers in the world today. I'll give you an example. Fifth commandment was not given to children, honor your father and mother. Did you know that? It's given to the adult members of the community because every other culture did not honor They're elders. God's like, you're going to be different in this way. It's the only command with a condition in it. Fifth commandment. It is way more uh, contextually applicable to me at 43 years old than it is to my children aged 15, 12, and 37 days. Psalm 113 commands praise of his name. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. It's not only commanding praise, it's modeling praise. And then there's a description of the Lord. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Me, who, ka, like Yah, the Lord. It's my son's name. Who is like the Lord. He's glorious. Verses 1 through 3. 
commands and models praise. Verses 4 and 5 describes the Lord and then describes who he cares for and how. Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of the people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. He loves everyone. In the Proverbs, uh, the poor and the wealthy are described somewhat differently for different purposes. It's wisdom. James actually says uh, wealthy people should howl uh, because often the state of the soul that accompanies it. Jesus speaks about this in Luke. Here, the rich are not disparaged because God loves everyone. And we need all of those texts, by the way. God loves everyone and gives a place for everyone and puts everyone into a family regardless of whether they have family in a way that their culture would esteem. 3,000 years ago, a woman that was unable to have children was unsure of her place in society. And God says, no, everyone has a place in my family. If you want to read a beautiful anecdote about this, the story of Aaliyah displays God's heart in this way. It's a slightly different story, the point than the one I'm making, but um, one of my very favorite stories in the Jesus Storybook Bible is called the, the Girl That No One Wanted. And you watch the Father Heart of God care for her. And we see it here in Psalm, 130, Psalm 113. He makes place for everyone in his family. So the command is to praise his name. I have have kind of an interesting application for you, and I'm not going to, it's not going to be a softball. You're going to have to actually do a little bit of work to apply this, which is, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes not. What name of God that you either have never used in prayer or not in a long time do you resonate with? Pick one and incorporate it into your prayer life this week. It's like doing theology backwards. You're learning something about God by following him directly, because he's commanding praise of his name. You're picking something you don't know as much about and incorporate it into your prayer life. There are a lot of names of God. The seven I Ams in the Gospel of John. You can pick any of the titles of Jesus given in Isaiah and repeated in the beginning of the Gospels. Now I'm, see, now I'm giving it to you as a softball. Do your own research on the names of God. You remember this story? Burning Bush in Sally Lloyd-Jones' classic, the Jesus Storybook Bible, that some of you are tired of me quoting. I'll stop quoting it when I find a book that explains the Old Testament in light of Jesus better. In her account, Moses says, a bush was behaving oddly, as in it was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. So he watched it for a little while, you know, like we watch fires on TV or side of the road. When God speaks to Moses after telling him to take his shoes off, because it's holy ground, he describes himself in a way that's difficult to translate. If you have a decent Bible, when you read Exodus chapter 3, there's a footnote. Because God absolutely transcends and confounds our limitations with respect to language. So his name, Yahweh, but the verb, the way he explains it to Moses 
is untranslatable in a direct sense. So it both means I am who I am, I will be who I will be, I will, and there's more to it, but I'm not going to turn back to Exodus. But this is the personal name of God given to his people, given to Moses to convince his people that um, God can and will and is about to lead them out of slavery. It's the personal name of God. shows up a lot in the Psalms and in other scriptures. We learn to praise his name, which centers us what do you think about that word? How do you feel about it? Is it too Eastern? One of my professors um, in seminary, he never ever uses the word balance unless he's talking about like on a bicycle because he thinks we overuse it and therefore over imply that that's the point of being a human is to lead some kind of balanced life. And the more I think about that, the more I think he has both overthought that and he's a little bit onto something. But Sometimes Christians get worried about words like energy or balance or centering. For Christians, as long as those things are pointing to Christ, they can be useful. As we move into the summer, friends, and we're outside more and it's beautiful and we wish we had central air, I want to encourage you to center the name of the Lord in your prayer life. I want you to enjoy who he is. We so quickly begin praying for the circumstances of others because there are so many in our, so many, we have so many friends and family members that are struggling and we want to pray for them and that's good. But part of prayer, a kingdom practice that's essential, it was essential to Jesus, the Psalms were his prayer book, therefore it should be essential to us, is centering his name. If you utilize the Lord's Prayer, you know this. How does it begin? Our Father, who is in heaven. That's centering him as the foundation for our prayer. Then we pray about others. Then we pray about temptation. Then we pray about provision. So as we move into the summer, friends, I would encourage you to center the name of the Lord. Parents, it doesn't get more significant than teaching your children to pray. And over time, teaching them some of the different names of God. I'm not saying don't pray about the circumstances in your life. I'm not saying don't pray about neighbors. I'm saying center the praise of the name of the Lord who has given you his personal name. It's a command. It's also a fundamental human experience to worship him this way privately and publicly. If he exists and we are the creatures made in his image, then the most fundamental human activity available to us is to worship him. How do we worship him? According to Psalm 113, by praising him. It also reminds us that we're not alone. By remembering that he exists, and thank God, literally and metaphorically, we're not him, we remember our place in the world also. And do you understand how profound it is to follow what the Lord has commanded and given to us? Because I know some of you are listening right now and you're thinking, what I need is not to center the name of the Lord. What I need is patience with my children. <laughs> Got a sound of a couple of thumbs up from the tech booth. Uh, not me. I'm, I'm good. I, I'm always patient with my children. 
Got to repent to my 15-year-old yesterday. It was great. How, though, how do we receive the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience? One of the ways that we receive the fruit of the Spirit, because we already have the Spirit, the Spirit's growing us like a tree, all at the same time. That's why we say fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. You can check my math, Galatians 5. Is that math, plural, singular? Anyway, one of the ways that we grow in patience with our children is by centering the name of the Lord in our prayers. It seems counterintuitive, but part of the reason that we lose patience with them is because they can act like terrorists, but also because we over-worry about our role and forget who God is in that moment and therefore forget how he would encourage us to act. Same thing with your spouse. Centering the name of the Lord will grow you in your ability to find one another, which is not the easiest thing to do much of the time for thousands of reasons. But centering the name of the Lord in prayer will settle your very being, which is part of how we then find our spouse. Some of you need wisdom with work decisions with dealing with your boss or your employees or your coworkers, or whether to leave or whether to go back to work and potentially lose money, but you're losing your mind because unemployment's great, but, you know, it's not just you. I have several friends. And you're like, where do I find this wisdom? Well, there's a lot of wisdom in the scriptures. One provision that settles us and enables us to utilize and learn the wisdom of God is centering the name of the Lord in prayer. Because when he settles our being, we allow him, trust him, we are gripped by the truth of the gospel and thereby in love allow our being to be settled through praising the name of the Lord. Wisdom is easier to find and less intimidating. Praise the Lord Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Psalm 113 commands praise of his name, which centers us and gives us family. This is not only descriptive of the Lord, that he raises up the low, to the place of high, that he gives the barren woman a home. It's instructive, because how does God in the world actually accomplish this? Through us. Through the alternative community known as the saints in the New Testament, known as followers of the way in the first century, known as Christians by and large. That's how God in the world accomplishes this. How does he in the world make familial space for those who don't seem to fit in their culture? Through the church, through the gathering of Christ followers. Jesus describes how challenging this is, perhaps especially in Luke, and yet it is our calling. Paul in 1 Corinthians absolutely blisters them for not treating everyone equally. This song here about the very character of God is also an indirect reminder of who we are in the world because of whose we are in the world. And it takes almost constant reminders and energy to do that. 
it would be easier to give people better seats if they give more in the church. That'd be a little bit simpler of a business model, but it would be anti-Christ-like. I was six, I think it was six years ago the last time I asked this question. Is the church more like a recovery group or a country club? Did a funeral a number of years ago, and there were a lot of people in recovery at the funeral who spoke. And it was one of the loveliest funerals, especially considering the circumstances that I've been a part of. Because people in recovery are really good at not being judgmental and accepting and welcoming in. Having been here for seven and a half years, I'm going to say we are more like a, in truth, more like a recovery group than a country club. But we will need to continue to grow in this. And we will need to be incredibly vigilant. I'm not saying we couldn't improve. I can, wow, think a lot of ways we could improve. But I can tell you, getting to know a lot of the heart of the people that worship here, their heart, because of the heart of Christ in them, is to welcome and accept everyone. And we get to do that. Not only by praising, but then by becoming more in character like the Lord who raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of the people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. We center the praise of the name of the Lord because he has given us his name and because he exists, because it is a fundamental part of the human experience and because it indirectly but very profoundly grows us up. Prayer is not the gospel, but because of the gospel, we learn to pray. The gospel is that Jesus loves you and pursued you and has called you to himself. Some of you have not yet received that in faith. You can do that right now. All you need, according to Flannery O'Connor, and she's right, is need. So as the Holy Spirit has made you aware of the gospel, you receive it. Then we learn to pray And the Holy Spirit, in its timing and ways, grows us up, specifically to this Sunday, into praise and the centering of the name of the Lord in our prayers. Would you pray with me? Father, we indeed praise you. Lord, we indeed praise you. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we praise your name. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with a sense of all that you're doing in our hearts and minds and lives, and even in this gathering of Christ followers. Amen.